0: Hey, Salt Company, it's so good to be with you guys. If I've not met you yet, my name is Tony. I'm on staff with this college ministry. Thank you. Wow. You guys are so kind. You guys are my friends. You're my friends. Thank you. So good to be with you guys. If this is your first time here at Salt Company, thank you so much for being here. We realize it takes an incredible step of faith just to show up in an environment like this. So we just want to say thank you so much for being a part of what God will do here tonight. Tonight, we're going to be starting a new series in Hebrews chapter 12. So if you got a Bible, we'd love for you to turn there. It's like 85% of the way through your Bible. If you don't have one, we would love to give you one. They're free. They're great. Very helpful for the rest of your life. We would love to give you one. If not, open up to Hebrews 12 on an app on your phone. For the next three weeks, we're going to work verse by verse, chunk by chunk, through one chapter, and that is Hebrews 12. And tonight, we're going to be asking ourselves a question, what does it look like to live a life that matters? Next week, we're going to be talking about why does God let us suffer And the week after that, we're going to be talking about an unchanging kingdom and an unshakable God. It's going to be great. Yes. Good job, Matt. It's going to be a great time. Let me pray as we enter into our time together. Father, it's such a joy gathering like this to worship you. Every time we pray that or sing that song, all hail King Jesus. I fall deeper and deeper in love with you. Thank you that you did not come as a king on a high horse, but you would actually be lifted up upon a cross to die in our place so that we who are once enslaved to our sin, our brokenness, and ourselves could be set free into the kingdom of God so that we could know you more. Thank you, Jesus, that this isn't just any normal Thursday, but you're here to work in a mighty way. Your presence is heavy and that you will speak to us through Hebrews chapter 12. Thank you that in our weakness, your power is made perfect. It's your mighty name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, the question that I've got for you tonight is, what is your biggest fear in life? Okay, so I thought of a couple fears that I had. The main one I thought of is running into things. Okay, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Think back to the last time you ran into a spider web. Ruined your life. Horrible. You just have to end your day. You got to go take a shower. You got to think about if there's maggots in your spine. Like, it's tragic. It's tragic. I know. Bummer. What? Are you not afraid? You should be afraid. Jalil. Maggots. Anyways, uh, I, I, I actually do this on a pretty consistent basis. Yesterday, I was leaving Starbucks, and I ran into a glass wall. And I dropped my phone. I was like, "Ah, did anyone see? Oh, everyone, literally everyone. What the heck? Picked up my phone in shame, walked out quickly. Okay, a lot of fears, okay? Mostly running into things. But as I thought about kind of the deepest fears that I had in my life, I realized that as I reflected on my entire life, the biggest fear that I've ever had is actually living a life that didn't matter. I I know, it's a fast turn. 180 degrees, woo, great time. But I mean this, like ever since I was a little kid, I remember watching both my parents work uh, minimum wage jobs. We grew up under the poverty line. And I had this really, really deep fear in my heart that my life was going to amount to nothing. That I was going to live a life for things that didn't matter and that my life would be insignificant. And so I spent my entire life running from those fears, running to girls, running to people's affirmation, running to making money. And as I ran towards those things, I realized all of those things were completely empty. And the fear that was inside of me actually grew bigger and bigger. And that fear was, will my life amount to anything? Will my life matter? I know it's dark. But my guess is for you, you've also asked yourself that question. Am I just one of 8 billion atom combined particles? Am I a random person with no meaning and vision and purpose in my life? Will my life actually matter? And so that's the question I've got for us tonight. It's a simple question, but I hope it rings in your head for the next 60 years of your life. And that question is, how do you not waste your life? All right, open up with me to Hebrews chapter 12. And that's a question that we're going to be asking ourselves tonight. How do we not waste our lives? If you are a note taker, I've actually got three points tonight. It's very exciting. Four verses, three points. Very cool. My three points is this. Point one, if you do not want to waste your life, here's what you need to know. That distractions lead to death. That your life is not about you. I know, very ominous. (laughs) It's like, wow, these are great. And that you will suffer. If you want to live a life that matters and you don't want to waste your life, distractions lead to death. Your life is not about you, and you will suffer. Look with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, as we begin there, and here's what the word of God says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay, so another way to understand therefore is because, and so here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Verse, you know, chapter 11 is called the Hall of Faith. I don't know if you guys knew this. Very cool chapter, but we'll come back to it later because it's later in the sermon that epic stuff comes out, right? Okay, you guys get it. You get it. You understand. So Hebrews chapter 11 is full of the Hall of Faith, a faithful men and women of God that have actually served him all throughout history. It's this incredible chapter. And so because of those people, therefore, their resemblance of faith, we now get to live a life of faith. And and the question that we need to ask ourselves is, what is this race that this writer is saying? And here's what that race is. The race that you will run by the grace of God for the rest of your life is a race towards Jesus and serving him. That you will spend the rest of your life, if you want to live a life that matters, here's what you need to know. You need to spend the rest of your life knowing Jesus more and serving his kingdom. That's the race that we're talking about. In fact, I was actually reading in some commentaries. This is just a fun fact, fun Bible fact. Fun Bible fact. when this writer is writing about races, all the people there race the naked. I know. I know. It really livens up the Bible. You know what I mean? You're like, wow. They literally took this seriously. Like, throw off all the weights. You know, anyways, they race naked. And here's why. Because if you line up against Usain Bolt in a 100-meter dash, you're not, like, running with a dumbbell on your shoulder. You're not, like, wearing high heels. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're just not doing that. So here's what these racers were doing. They were letting go of everything that would incumbent or get in the way of them running the race, and they would run towards the finish line. And so the two things that the writers actually say in this chapter about what it looks like to run the race of God is to throw off two things. One, the weights. Okay, here's how I'm going to define the weights. Anything that distracts you from knowing and loving Jesus and serving him more. Anything. Now, that's a big word, and I mean anything. Even good things. Good things like relationships, good things like school, good things like your sport, anything that distracts you from loving Jesus and serving him. And the second thing that they mention here is a sin that clings so closely. Another way to phrase that would actually be the sin that entangles you, the type of sin that's so deeply entrenched into your psyche that you cannot get yourself out of it. And so here's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us. If we want to live a life that matters if we want to actually run the race of God, if we want to spend the rest of your life serving Jesus and knowing him more, then you got to throw off the weight and get rid of the sin that entangles so closely. Okay, I want to pull over here and just say a quick thing. One is, uh, get real with you, real guys, I love my job. Like, it is the best job in the world. I genuinely mean that. It's awesome. Would not trade it with anyone. Even Jeffy Jeff Bezos wouldn't do it. Would want his house, but wouldn't want to trade jobs, okay? His job probably sucks. Anyways, moving on. I have an incredible job, and here's why. It's because every single Thursday, I get to hear of story after story after story of people encountering Jesus in a real way, and it brings me to tears. Like, on a Tuesday, I'll just be sitting inside, but I was like, <laughs> crying, you know what I mean? Sad, right before I run into the window. Like, why would I do that? So tragic. I think that was, like, this older lady that, like, almost tried to help me, but she's like, nah, just let him, let him figure it out. That was a sad moment. Anyways, I cry, you know, I cry because I'm like, man, people are encountering Jesus, and it's the most beautiful thing about life. But for every single person that I'm tearing up for on a Tuesday that met Jesus, the next day I'm tearing about someone who started the race well but got distracted. The type of person that would show up on a Thursday night like this and would raise their hands and get really excited about Jesus the type of person that probably felt like they were going to walk with Jesus no matter what, no matter what came their way. And yet I've done college ministry enough to have a much longer list than you could ever imagine of people with stories, with names, who started the race and got distracted. Here's some of the things that they got distracted by. They got distracted by dating someone who said they loved Jesus, but really they just attended church. They got distracted by the shininess of a career that promised them deeper fulfillment and joy than Christ could. They got distracted by the wanderlust of travel and spent the rest of their lives being a ski bum in Montana. That one was a little specific. He has a name. (laughs) Sorry, if you listen. He won't. Anyways, that's a little too specific. I get it. I need to be better at life. Okay, I get it. I am trying to not say stuff like that from stage. I kick myself every day. Okay, moving on. You guys get the point. They get distracted, okay? They get distracted. And here's what happens to people who get distracted. Their distractions will lead them to death. There's a quote from John Tyson that I think will be helpful to, you know, get back to the sermon. Here's what John Tyson said. Most of us will not be tempted to deny our faith, but many of us will be so distracted that we settle for a mediocre version of it. And here's what happens when you settle for a mediocre version of the Christian faith. Your spiritual depth, your intimacy with Jesus will die and get replaced with the vision of God as he's your backup plan your side hobby that you go to when you need to feel a little bit good, your genie that you rub when you're in a little bit of suffering, your spiritual vitality, your intimacy with Jesus, your way into freedom in Christ and joy in him will die. Your distractions will choke out the life that you have inside of you. But here's the other thing that it will kill. It will put to death any type of gospel impact that you could have. Because you will look so much like the culture that those who are far from God will not be interested in what you have to say. Your distractions will lead you to death. Something that John Piper said that I thought was really insightful. Guys, I'm not going to lie. I've got some fun quotes tonight. I'll say it. I was pretty excited about it. You should be too. Here's what John Piper says, okay? Johnny Pipes is what I call him, I've never met him. Seems like a great guy. Here's what he says. We, la- we waste our lives when we do not pray and think and dream, and plan, and work towards magnifying God in all spheres of our life. God created us for this, to live our lives in a way that makes him look more like the greatness and beauty and infinite worth that he really is. How good is that? This is the express purpose by which you were created, not to be distracted by worldly things, but to make God look beautiful, to give him your entire life and to say, Jesus is my Lord. He is actually that good, which means I won't get distracted with the things of this world. I'll run to him. Here's what I'm afraid of for many of us in this room. That 60 years from now, you'll look back when you're 80 years old and say, I lived for things that didn't matter. That you'll say, I serve the gods of convenience, comfort, and currency, just like the rest of the world. And you'll look back at the one life you had to live when you're 80 years old and say, I wasted my life. Because I spent my days building a kingdom that will rot away once I die. And that a hundred years after you die, no one will remember your name or anything that you ever did because you only serve the gods of convenience, currency, and comfort. That's what I go to bed thinking about of this ministry. Not how hype it is. Not our cool worship culture. Not the bread. None of that crap matters. I go to bed thinking about your lives, and I get on my knees and beg God that you would not get so distracted in your faith that you would settle for a mediocre version of it. And so tonight, the invitation that I have for you is to actually have a little bit of a switch in your mind and say, listen, I want to finish the race. I want to run. Okay, so if you want to do those things, here are the two things I think would be helpful for you that we find from the text. One is eliminate distractions, okay? Distractions kill us. Oop, don't want that. Eliminate it, okay? Here are a couple things that you might want to eliminate, which could be literally anything in your life. So, like, seek the Lord, right? We're going to reflect later and think about it. First thing is Snapchat. Okay, listen. 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 You cannot convince me that Snapchat is making you love Jesus more. I, I will not believe it. Zero percent, not a single human being. Then the billions of people who snap. No, no, you're wrong, okay? That is the authoritative truth of God. That's, I just feel that way. It's just not going to help you. It will lead you into sin. Trust me, I once had snap. I know, it is crazy. Snapchat and slash other social media, okay? So it's not just snap, the TikTok, you know? Luke was like the TikTok. I was like, Luke, are you 50 years old? Like, bro, you were a sophomore in college. Anyways, any social media. Listen, I'll just be straight. Here's what Instagram makes me wanna do, okay? I don't have one, but when I had one. Instagram makes me wanna like, go to Hawaii and drink booze on a beach. Like that's what Instagram makes me wanna do. I wanna not work at all, live on the beach, and live my life to the fullest. Like that's what I wanna do, okay? And when it's like negative 10 degrees in Minnesota, I hate my life when I see posts like that. It is not gonna help you. Social media, not technically sinning, but distracting. Second thing that you should think about is how you actually view your school and your athletics. I know. Guys, I want you to go to school. This is a college ministry. Like, if you drop out, you can still come, but you know what I'm saying, like, go to school. Go to school. This is good advice. But some of you have learned your entire life that your entire identity rests on the balance of a test. So you literally shake while you're filling out your test scores, not your scores, you know, the questions. Some of you have learned that it's only when you perform well that you can actually be loved. And the way that you view athletics and academics and your job are distractions for you. Your homework takes a precedent over time with Jesus. You only pray when you need to get a better test score. Your athletics determine how you feel for the rest of that week. Your job determines who you are. Those things are not sinful. I'm glad you're going to school. But those things can be distractions from Jesus. Make sense? Second thing is confess sin in community, okay? Sin that entangles you is not fun, okay? It's like, oh, trip, yes, it's a bummer. Sin that entangles you, you often don't even know about. They're often called idols, things that you actually worship in place of Jesus, things that actually trip you up in order to get deeper with Jesus and share the gospel with others. Sin that entangles you needs to be confessed in community. And here's the thing. Some of you guys have been coming to Salt for like two years, and you come and you leave, and it's whatever. But you've never been to a campus group. And let me tell you, the best part of Salt Company is campus group. And here's why. It's because you actually will struggle deeply confessing sin in isolation. But it is much easier in the context of community. So the two things, if you want to live a life that matters, is to eliminate distractions and confess your sin and community. But the second thing we're going to look at is this. Part two, your life is not about you. I know. Ominous. Ominous. Am I saying that word right? Okay. I feel like I've said it wrong most of my life. Moving on. Point two, your life is not about you. Look with me to verse two. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, come on, beautiful, who for the joy that was set before him, yes, whatever that was, yes. I, this is just one of those nights. If you're new here, I don't do this every time. I just get carried away. Anyways, back to the thing. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. One of the coolest verses in the entire Bible. Not that we rank verses, but this one's up there, okay? I want to spend the majority of the next point breaking down the first three words, looking to Jesus. And the reason why I want to do that is because I'm going to make an assumption here. My guess is that we don't spend the most of our days looking at Jesus. We spend the vast majority of our days looking at us. And here's why I know that is because we live in a self-obsessed culture. Think about this. When in human history could you be like a 16-year-old and be famous? Like, you have to be, like, good at stuff. Now you can just post pictures. Like, it's amazing if you think about it. We live in a culture that has completely curated your life's vision of you making a brand for yourself, portraying yourself on social media, be completely self-obsessed. And here's what your culture has taught you your entire life, that the singular point of your life is you. You're the idol that you worship. Think about that. That's crazy. So, the question is how do we live a life that matters? Here's my answer for you. If you want to live a life that matters, you need to actually believe that your life isn't about you, it's not about me. Here's what the worship of self produces. It produces brokenness and bondage because we were not created to look at ourselves. We were actually created to look at Jesus. So if you're a note taker, I want you to write this down, that the biggest barrier for you living a life that matters, for you running the race, for you actually serving and knowing Jesus for the rest of your life, the biggest barrier to living a life that matters is believing that your life is about yourself. There's something that John Piper, I think, Yes, it's John Piper, says that I thought was so compelling. Here's what he says. To make them feel good, that's us, the people, about themselves when they were made to feel good about seeing God is like taking someone to the Alps and locking them in a room full of mirrors. I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Exposed. That's how I felt. And this is my proposal for you. Maybe the reason why your life feels so dull. Maybe the reason why your life feels like it's 2D. Maybe the reason why you feel like you're surviving and not thriving. Maybe the reason why you've lived with a low grade depression your entire life, irregardless of how good your circumstances got, you still live with this cloud above your head. Maybe the reason why life is so painful and broken, no matter how good the external reality seems to be, is because you weren't designed to look at yourself, but you were designed. To look at Jesus. See, the culture wants to convince you that you're getting all of life by sitting in this little box of mirrors. Ooh, look, it's me. That's what the culture wants to convince you. The culture wants to say that if you just look into yourself long enough, if you look into the depths of your soul, you will finally be free, you will finally be joyful, and you will finally be happy. But here's what happens to a culture like that, a self-obsessed culture. While we have that vision for life, we also have epidemic levels of depression, anxiety, and loneliness. So here's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to open up that door and say, come with me to the Alps. I'll show you what life was really supposed to be. And here's what happens when you meet Jesus. It's like, guys, this is what it's like. It's like you finally live in color, okay? This is the analogy I thought of. Black and white movies. Never seen one. I assume they're quite dull, okay? But imagine, all you've ever seen is black and white. You're like, wow, what color are these seats? I don't know. Probably black. Like, that's what you think. Here's what happens when you meet Jesus, It's like you can finally see life in color. He injects beauty into your soul. And the more that you gaze at him, the more beautiful life becomes. See, maybe the reason why your entire life has been depicted by dullness, by a 2D version of life, by black and whiteness, is because Jesus was creating you so that you could look at him. You were designed to look at the creator God. And here's what Hebrews 2 says about the God that we serve. This is so good. He says that we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who endured the cross, despising the shame. Listen, one of the things that draws me to worship of Jesus when I worship God, which is hopefully more of my life. Anyways, one of the things that draws me to worship when I worship God is that every religion has a God. But no other religion has a God who suffered. This is so cool. Like every religion has a God who sits up in heaven in his throne room and judges you, but no other religion has a God who would endure the cross, who would despise the shame, who would take upon our sins upon himself and would die a brutal death. No other religion has a God who suffers. And so when you look at a God that good, the only thing it can produce inside of you is worship. It's so beautiful. And here's my fear for some of you in this room, that you have spent your whole lives around Jesus-like things, but you've never truly gazed at him. That you grew up in a Christian home, and you thought that's what it meant to be a Christian. You grew up in some type of religious environment, and you thought that's what it meant to be a Christian. So you've settled for mediocre faith. A distracted faith of religion and prestige and all this kind of crap. And here's what Jesus wants to offer you He wants to offer you the real thing that you're designed for to gaze and to look at Him. So, if we want to live a life that matters, here's what we need to do we need to look upon Jesus and He will make life matter. Last thing that we will do if you want to live a life that matters, you will suffer. Look with me to verses 3 and 4 of Hebrews chapter 12. Remember him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Okay, here's why I detest the prosperity gospel, okay? I don't know if you guys know this. There's a documentary out. I think it's called The American Gospel. It's so good. But... The prosperity gospel is this. You believe in God, here's what he's going to give you back, health and wealth. You want to be hot and rich, believe in God. That is an abomination to the Lord. In actuality, here's what the Bible would describe the life of a Christian, someone who lives a life that matters, someone who actually lives and leaves a mark for all of eternity, someone who follows after King Jesus and runs the race. The Bible will say that you will suffer. You will be persecuted, and here's why. What more of a Christian thing is there than Jesus suffering? If we say that we're followers of Jesus, why should we be surprised when we suffer? Why should you be surprised when life gets hard? Why should you be surprised when the cancer hits or the boyfriend breaks up with you or your family member dies or, or even in this text you get persecuted for your faith? Why should you be surprised when you go out into a post post-Christian city on postmodern, post-Christian campuses and you get made fun of for how real you think Jesus is? You will suffer because Jesus suffered. You will be persecuted because Jesus was persecuted. But here's the good news I have for you. It will all be worth it. Because whose life was more worth it than King Jesus? His suffering produced freedom for us. His persecution produced healing for us. By his wounds, you have been healed. Your life will be worth it, even though it is incredibly hard. You will suffer. But your suffering should not be a reason for you to give up. Your suffering should be a reason for you to lean in and fall deeper in love with Jesus. In review... If you want to live a life that matters, I'll call the worship band back up. If you want to live a life that matters, here are the three things I want you to know, believe, get inside of your soul, and have it impact every area of your life. The three things I want you to know is that distractions will lead to death. Throw that sucker off. Like, if you need an imagery, run naked, okay? Just think about it. It's it's actually kind of sticky. Anyways, throw those distractions off. Those distractions will lead to death. I have seen plenty of people in my life get excited about Jesus and then stop running the race because they got distracted. Don't let that be your life story 60 years from now. Throw the distractions off. Those distractions will lead to death. The second thing I need you to know is if you want to live a life that matters, you need to know that your life is not about you. Because here's the problem with living a life that's about you. You could spend the next 60 years of your life building a kingdom that no one will remember long after you're gone. It is very easy to build an entire life around your house on a prairie with a white picket fence only so that 100 years after you die, no one will remember your life. But the other option you have tonight is to make a decision to say, you know what? I don't want to waste my life. I want to spend the next 60 years of my life growing deeper in love with Jesus and building the kingdom of God, a kingdom that that moths cannot destroy, that rust cannot wear down. I want to build something that lasts with my life. I want to put a stake in the ground and say, King Jesus, I give you my life. I'm following you. By faith, I will live. If you want to live a life that matters, you need to realize that your life is not about yourself. And the third thing that I need you to know is that suffering will come, that you will suffer. Next week, we're going to be talking about why God lets us suffer. And it's arguably one of my favorite texts in the Bible because it has just rocked me so many times. But the suffering will come. But the suffering is not a reason to give up. The suffering is a reason to lean in and say, Jesus, I want you. Okay, I skipped it. Let's go all the way back up to word number one, therefore. Remember we talked about how in Hebrews 11, there's a hall of faith, and then Jesus says, therefore, or not Jesus. Well, Jesus through the writer of Hebrews. You guys get it. He says, therefore, so we're actually gonna look at a couple different examples in Hebrews chapter 11. And the reason why we're gonna do that is because I don't know about you guys, but I would always listen to sermons like this and just be like, man, I don't wanna waste my life. I wanna live my life for things that matter. I wanna pursue Jesus and be used by him. But the first thought that would come into my mind is, you know what? I'm way too broken for God to use someone like me. I have way too much sin in my past. I come from too broken of a home. I have too much trauma in my past for God to use someone like me. So my hope is, In Hebrews chapter 11, God would inject faith into your soul. And with two words, you would actually remember what it looks like to faithfully pursue him. And those two words is by faith. And so here's what I want you to see. In Hebrews chapter 11, when God calls you to sacrifice the thing in your life that you love the most. Whatever it is, the idols in your life, the things that you place on a pedestal, the thing that you're like, God, please don't take that thing. When he calls you to sacrifice the thing that you love the most for the God you love the most, remember this moment in Abraham's life in verse 17 where it says, by faith, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who received the greatness, he who received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. And here's what I want you to remember, that God was faithful to Abraham when it didn't make sense, and he will be faithful to you when it doesn't make sense. There will be so many moments in your walk with Jesus where God will call you to sacrifice things that don't make sense, that look beautiful in every sense of the word, and you will think back to this moment and say, by faith, like Abraham, therefore, I too can give up the things in my life to serve King Jesus. The second thing I want you to see is when you look at your story, your history, your family of origin, and you think to yourself, there is no way God could use someone who looks like me, who has my skin color, who has a story like me, who has a broken family like me, someone who's from a traumatized home, someone from a broken home. Here's what I want you to see. I want you to look to Moses, a man who grew up in the house of a man who wanted to kill him, okay? Daddy issues, like think about it. Wow, crazy. Here's what it says in verse 24. By faith, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. This is so cool. Then enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Mm, I was like, whoa, that's good. If God chose Moses, who, by the way, murdered a man, was a complete reject, who had a stuttering problem to lead 600,000 people out of slavery, then he can use you in your weakness. Don't give up. Keep following Jesus. And the last one might be my favorite. It's that of Rahab the prostitute. And I don't know about you, but honestly, I feel like an outsider in the kingdom of God pretty consistently. I feel like I'm too broken that my past has actually disqualified me from the grace of God. But look with me to Rahab's story in verse 31. I faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Listen, if God can redeem Rahab's story from outsider and prostitute to insider and spiritual hero, then he can redeem yours. Listen, you're going to need these moments to say, listen, God, I'm going to place a stake in the ground, and I'm going to say, by faith, I will never give up. 60 years from now, I want to look back and say, I lived for things that mattered. And the only way that you'll be able to do that through the distractions of this life, through our self-obsessed culture, and through the suffering of this life, is if you live by faith. And you say, King Jesus, I give you my life. Whatever you want to do with it, I'm in. I want to live a life that matters. I want to impact eternity for the kingdom of God. I want to follow you. Whatever it is, I'm in. And you're going to need two words to remember that. By faith, by faith, I will follow you. Let me pray. King Jesus, there are so many distractions in this life, so many things that take our attention. We live in a self-obsessed culture that wants to convince us that living in a room full of mirrors is where freedom and life is found. But Jesus, you want to take us to the Alps. You want to take us to the mountaintops to see your beauty. You want to show us what we were designed for. You want to give us the fullness of life, the fullness of joy. You want us to see in color. You want to see the beauty of the world that you've given us. You want to see the beauty of you. You want us to spend time gazing at you. And so Jesus, please, please take care of the people in this room help them to see that you're the only one worth looking at and when suffering hits and when the cancer diagnosis hits when the breakup happens when the parent dies when the depression hits when the suffering comes along every single one of our ways Jesus remember help us to remember that you suffered you were persecuted But it was through your suffering that life was born. It was through your persecution that healing happened. And so here's what we believe, that even in our suffering, it is worth it, that it is not a reason to give up. It is a reason to lean in. So Jesus, tonight, I pray that we would plant our stake in the ground and say, by faith, I want to live a life that matters. I want to finish the race. I want to meet Jesus at the end of my life and say, Jesus, thank you for letting me live a life that mattered. Father, tonight we pray that our hearts would be softened and that you would show us the idols in our life that we need to confess and give to you. Help us be people who trust you, Lord. It's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen, amen.